Daniel chapter 3 records the familiar and remarkable story of Daniel's three friends. We don't know how much time has elapsed since King Nebuchadnezzar had the dream of the large statue in the second half of chapter 2, in which the head was made of pure gold and the chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs bronze, and its legs of iron and the feet iron and clay. And a rock suddenly struck the statue and smashed it to pieces. Now the passage does not tell us why Nebuchadnezzar decided to make the image, perhaps he thought to himself, according to Daniel's God, my kingdom of gold will not last, but God's kingdom will. I don't like this. <laughs> I want my kingdom to be eternal. I want to be God. Don't we hear our contemporaries say that same thing? <laughs> I want to be God. I want my kingdom to last for eternity. So when he started to make the statue, instead of a head of gold, he made the whole statue from head to feet gold. Then he summoned all the high government officials for a dedication ceremony. These were the announcements was made and the sound of harp, pipe, lyre. Uh, uh, probably sounded very much like the jazz concert that we, some of us have participated in last, uh, this weekend. And the command was that everybody has to bow before the golden image and whoever does not do so would be thrown into the blazing furnace. But Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. So the astrologers came forward and maliciously accused the three young men that they did not bow before the golden image. Perhaps because they were jealous of these three Jews who were able to tell the king his dream and also to interpret the dream for him. The king was furious, but he liked these three young men, so he decided to give them a second chance. The king says in verses 14 and 15, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, here's your chance. When you hear the sound of the horn flute, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if not, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Perhaps... Daniel's three friends could have rationalized idols. Are they just harmful images? Since idols are nothing, so if we bow, we bow to nothing. But even as young as 17 and 18, the average age of college freshmen, 
They knew that it was more insidious than that. Because when you worship false gods, it does something to you. South African theologian and anti-apartheid leader Alan Buzak says that false gods not only challenge the living God, they effectuate and exchange so that now the golden image was the king and the king was the golden image. Novelist David Foster Wallace that we quoted last Sunday says that everybody worships. There's no such a thing as not worshiping. The only choice we have is what to worship. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or bad, but that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They are the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day by day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. But like Peter, we must obey God rather than man. And this is how Christians living today as strangers in a strange land, very much like Daniel and his three friends, must view all earthly power. God is sovereign over history and the rise and fall of powers. Nebuchadnezzar, an evil man, was put there because God put him there. God is ultimately only the real reality all other reality are created reality, including human beings and the vast cosmos. We are derived from God and dependent on God. Moreover, we tend to think of politics as a turf or a space and limit the political only to the realm of government or legislature or election cycle or who is the president. That was the mistake made by the religious right. But the political is more a way of life. Sharing a common life towards a certain goal or end or the Greek talus. And that's the why the church has the potential of becoming a counterculture force for the common good. Because we said last Sunday that a cut flower civilization, it's a cut flower because intellectual elite today were parasites of the Judeo-Christian 
beliefs and values. And the cut flower civilization that we live in today lacks the adequate root system to nourish its own ideals of freedom, justice, equality, and universality. So as Christians, we are just sojourners, resident aliens of the earthly city. And our relationship with the government sometimes seem tenuous. And we may seem aloof, not because we don't care, but because there's no utopian dream and there's no Jerusalem on earth. Our ultimate reality is in the Lord of history who will return to reign as king. And in the meantime, we are waiting, awaiting the return of the king. That's why Daniel's friends saw King Nebuchadnezzar had overstepped his boundaries. They protested. They answered the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now I checked the uh, EV, that would be English Standard Version, uh, has that disclaimer. If our God we serve is able to save us, but even if he does not. But in the original Aramaic, it doesn't have that disclaimer. The original Aramaic says, if our God, the one we serve, is able to save us, instead of the God we serve is able to save us. But isn't God all-powerful? Does it mean that this, doesn't it mean that there's nothing that God cannot do? So here we stumble into a strange and disturbing truth in the Bible. This all-powerful God is also a vulnerable God. God is not a superman going to the phone booth when there is a crisis, says uh, detective story writer Dorothy Sayers. And then suddenly he comes, flies out, and miraculously steps in to save us. God does not always provide an escape. This is one of the question marks of history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was his Christian conviction that brought him to resist Hitler yet he dies just moments before Berlin was liberated by the Allied forces. And his biography says that when he was standing in front of the firing squad, 
he could hear the gunfire of the Allied forces. Martin Luther King Jr. Love was what he taught. Peace and brotherhood and sisterhood of all men and women. And yet he himself was killed by the violence he himself denounced. Coretta King visited our friends in South Africa who at that time lived under apartheid. And Coretta King said to them, you know, Martin and I knew that someday he'll be killed. But what made us anxious was we don't know when. And that we're afraid. <laughs> was Hitler more powerful than God? Is God powerless against China's Chairman Mao Zedong? And perhaps this is why many are afraid and would not obey. But in reality, our faith is very much like the three young men, full of buts, ifs, howevers. But faith is akin to hope. It's among those ifs and buts and ours that our hope stands out and calls on us. In her book, Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwanda Holocaust about the 1994 Rwanda genocide in which an estimate of 800,000 lives were perished. And they were mostly Tutsis, but there were also some moderate Hutus, most of whom were perpetrators, but some of them were moderate, and they too perished in the genocide. A genocide survivor, Immaculate Elibigiza, recounted the experience of hiding along with five other terrified women in the bathroom of a pastor. And it was only separated by an inch thick plasterboard. And she said, when the terrorists regarded, regarding the Tutsis as cockroaches, enemies of their own country, came and they ransacked the church and the pastor's house and they kept calling her name. And she thought she was going to be killed for sure. She said she wanted to pray, but then she had no voice. She said her mouth was drier than the sand. And then at that moment, she dreamt about Jesus hovering above her and start to speak to her. Mountains are moved by faith. But if faith is easy, all the mountains will be gone. Mountains are moved by faith. But if faith is easy, 
all the mountains would be gone. But trust me, the voice says to her, I will not leave you. And she said at that moment, she jumped up and told everybody, we are safe, we are safe. God will save us. This is true of Daniel's three friends as well. Kept alive by their audacious hope. They did not know in advance that God was going to save them. Like Immaculate and her friends, who thought that they were going to die for sure. But they had to come to terms with the possibility of being consumed by fire. But listen to what they said to the king. If our God, the only, the one we serve is able to save us, he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Therefore, the king was furious. Verse 19 says that Nebuchadnezzar ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. He probably thought if he heated up twice as uh, uh, hot as before, that the three young men's God could not save them. So he made it seven times hotter and threw them into the blazing furnace. But the king was amazed because they saw four men walking around the fire. And the fourth looks like the son of man or the son of God or Jesus Christ himself. In this story, death was swallowed up by victory, but we must not jump to conclusion that no harm will ever come to us. God will spare hardship. We must not assume that because we're Christians. Or often we think that if we wait long enough, God will give us all that we want. We just need to be patient. Because we are Christians, actually, Daniel tells us, Apostle Paul tells us, the list of those who were martyrs that we read in Hebrews witness to that. They live that and they die in that. As Christians, we must prepare ourselves for the every opposite of safe and secure. You know, Mitch and Ellie, you just became members. God will not expect you to uh, uh, be crucified <laughs> next week. But we must not assume, living in this day and age, that there will be no suffering and pain. There's always a furnace prepared for the church. In conclusion, let's look at the response of King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, Praise be to God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued the servants. It's easier to shout hallelujahs than to be obedient and be faithful to God. And if we're honest, we must confess that we sometimes, if not always, 
have let something or someone between God come between us and God and ourselves. But if Jesus is Lord of all, he is, is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, says John Mott, the missionary statesman. Now listen to the incredible words of Daniel's three young friends again. If our God, the one we serve, is able to save us, he will. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Do we have what it takes to withstand the onslaught, the meltdown of today's secular culture? What commitments dare we make today that would prepare us for the pressures of the secular age? Can we as a church become a counterculture force for the common good of people in Iowa City, in New York City, and wherever God has put us? Let us pray.